Please take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be looking at a passage that was read for the Scripture reading this morning, so we would invite you to look at the text with us and to grow as a result of the Word of God speaking to your hearts and lives today. We're doing a summer series called Changed Minds, Changed Lives, and one area that I think the church and we as individuals really need to think through is our view toward church. When I was a kid, I grew up in the Bible Belt, Virginia and West Virginia, and something I would notice each week as we went to church, all of my neighbors were heading out the door to church. The streets were crowded as people were going to church to worship God. Now, that was before the earth's crust hardened, I realize. But today, not so much. Study after study, poll after poll, shows a decline in church attendance. And there has been a shift in thought as far as the relevance and the importance of church. And so if we're going to talk about changed minds and changed lives, I think it's incumbent on us to look into the Word of God and to visit God's idea of what constitutes a church and how He views it and the importance of being a part of a church. It's revealed clearly in Scripture, so we need to think through those things. A few years ago, I came across a little tract that talked about church attendance, and I found it something that caused me to give pause and a lot of thought. It's humorously true, and I'd like to share it with you this morning. Football in the fall, basketball in the winter, baseball in the spring and summer. I've been an avid sports fan, but no more. I've quit. I quit sports once and for all. You can't get me near one of those places again. You want to know why? Every time I went, they asked me for money. The people with whom I had to sit didn't seem very friendly. The seats were not very comfortable. I went to many games, but the coach never came to call on me. The referee made a decision I could not agree with. I suspected that some of those who were sitting with me were hypocrites They only came to see their friends and what others were wearing rather than to see the game. Some games went into overtime, and I was late getting home, and the band played some numbers that I'd never heard before and didn't much care for. It seems that the games are scheduled when I want to do other things. I was taken to too many games by my parents when I was growing up. I don't want to take my children to any games because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. We can see a lot of parallels in this, can't we? And after 38 years of ministry, um, I've probably heard most of those excuses associated not with sports but with church, obviously. And so it raises a question, how should I view church? Do I have attitudes and thought processes that I need to rethink when it comes to coming together with fellow believers 
and doing life together. As we come to the text that we're looking into this morning, something leapt out at me as I was looking at this text that I hadn't noticed before, and that was, and I don't mean to sound boring right at the get-go, but it was pronouns. As I looked through this text, what stood out to me were pronouns like we and our and us, and the whole idea that my faith in God is not something that I do alone. As a believer, I'm in the faith with other believers, and I need to come together with other believers to grow in my faith. What really stood out to me as I look at this text, the writer of Hebrews was sharing with us that God has a high view of the church. He views it as important. He views it as something that He is committed to, something that He has invested in greatly. And as a follower of God and of Jesus Christ, I need to view it in the same way. I think that's something that I really drew from this passage of Scripture. So that's what I want to share with you this morning. The view of God toward the church, the view of God that we should embrace, the view of the church that God wants us to have. So as we come to this text, we find that, first of all, in verses 19 through 20, we are delivered from anything that can separate us from God. Now, you're going to notice on this outline that any of the pronouns that refer to our togetherness, um, I have stand out by all caps and a little bit larger font, and that's by design, that's purposeful. God wants us to, again, think in terms of not just me as an individual, but what I share with other believers. As Midwesterners, a lot of what we think about is rugged individualism, and that's a good thing. But we also need to think in terms of, I am part of something that's bigger than myself, and I need to commit to that. So what God does is He reminds us of what Jesus Christ did for us to bring us into this relationship that we share. How do I become a part of something that's bigger than myself? How do I become a part of the church? And that's addressed right here in the 19th verse. Look at what the Scripture says. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. Now, we're going to pause there. I realize the sentence isn't finished yet but I want to unpack what's being shared. Jesus Christ destroyed the curtain that once separated us, again, speaking to the fact that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves that separated us from God. Now, if you don't have an Old Testament background, you might not understand what this passage is talking about. You see, to the Hebrews, and this is who the letter is obviously written to, the temple was a place of mystery, The Hebrews could not enter the temple, and even if they could enter the outer part of the temple, there was a section of the temple that only one person could enter once a year, and that was the high priest. And as the high priest would enter this part called the Holy of Holies within the temple, he did not do so with confidence. And perhaps it was part of the preparation that he went through in order to enter, because what the high priest had to do was this, wear a garment that had bells on the bottom of his garment so that those outside the Holy of Holies who were not allowed to enter could hear the bells ringing, knowing that as long as the bells were ringing, he's okay. 
he didn't mess up. But if he messed up and he were struck dead, the bells would stop. One other thing. As he went into the Holy of Holies, they tied a rope around his ankle. I'll let you use your imagination as to why. So you're the high priest and you're getting the bells put on the hems of your garment and you have a rope tied around your ankle. That would not inspire confidence to go into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. But that has changed for us. We have the opportunity to go before the God who is in a personal way because of the blood of Jesus Christ. For the priest, there was the fear that the priest went only once a year and not without taking blood, which he offered for himself for the unintentional sins of the people. But we have a greater blood, the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross that brought us the opportunity to know God, to come into His presence, to have a close relationship with Him, we can come before God with confidence. But notice again the pronouns. I share this with other believers. There are times where I'm thinking only about how my faith pertains to me, but I need to think bigger, broader. I need to think about those who share in that relationship with God, who have been blessed by the blessing of Christ's blood. I need to think outside myself. Because of Jesus, the curtain that once separated people from God has been torn. As a matter of fact, the book of Matthew reminds us of this when Matthew writes, and Jesus cried out, and now this is while he was being crucified, with a loud voice, yielding up his spirit, and behold, now look at this, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The imagery of this is more than just symbolism, it's truth, that Jesus' death on the cross split the curtain that separated man from God by his blood. He gives us access to God. And we as believers need to remember that this is a blessing for me, but it is a blessing for others. I share in this with other followers of Jesus Christ. I need to think differently when it comes to Christ's church. Something else we find in this text as we go on to the 21st verse. The Scripture continues and it talks about this imagery of the temple of God. And it talks about the priest, and if you remember, that priest could only go once a year. But we have a great high priest, we're told in this text, the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the priest as the representative, the mediator between the people and God. It was a picture of what Jesus would ultimately do when He went to the cross. And as He now, as the resurrected Christ, is at the right hand of God, as our intercessor, speaking on our behalf. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks on our behalf, us. Look at that 20th verse carefully, and notice it says, by a new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is His flesh. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ brings us into the presence of God 
forever. In fact, the writer of Hebrews said this earlier. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, and this is referring to Jesus, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, and now I love this part of the passage, he is able to save to the utmost. Some translations render this save forever. Those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is what we share in as the church of God. This is the reminder to us of what God has blessed us with and how we should respond to our God. And that brings us to the next part of this passage. As we progress through this text, what we find is this. There are certain decisions that we should make in light of these truths. There are responses that I as an individual, but not just I, we as a church should take on in response to what God has done. There are some people that call the concluding verses of this section of the book of Hebrews a salad type of message because it says, let us do certain things. So let's look at these things. Let's look at what God is calling us to do. We need to decide to live in light of what Christ has done for us, and that begins with drawing near to God together with a true heart. Look at that 22nd verse. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of the faith. Now here, the writer of Hebrews isn't just giving us group speak. I think what he is sharing with us is the dynamic that we experience by drawing near to God, not only as an individual, but as a church body. You see, as I see others who have a passion for knowing Christ and a depth of desire to know Him, that inspires me to draw near to God as well. I can see their lives living out these truths, and it inspires me to live in a way that I won't live on my own. Many Christians believe in a church-optional approach, that it doesn't really matter whether or not there is a consistency in me being a part of a church. I do it when I can. I do it when I choose. But what the Word of God is calling us to is coming together, being together, Drawing near to God in worship together because it inspires us to be more faithful. It's a phenomenon that I've noticed that as I have seen people who become less committed to their church attendance, their walk with God suffers. Oh, maybe not first. When there's that first decision that I don't need to be a part of a church family, they can go it alone for a while, but as they continue to isolate themselves from fellowship with other believers, the accountability aspect, the encouragement aspect of seeing others seeking to draw near to God begins to take its toll. When I look in Scripture, I don't see a model 
where I approach God just on my own, there is always this idea of a corporate approach. I'm in it with other believers, and I'm seeking to draw near to God together with others. That's what this text is calling us to. So, when it says, let us draw near with a true heart, that word true carries with it the idea of sincere. And my sincerity is increased and enhanced by viewing the sincerity of other believers. I'm inspired to grow closer to God as I see others who are inspired to draw closer to God. So God is calling us to think in those terms, to draw near to Him, but to draw near together with others. And notice that verse goes on to say, with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. You know, when I don't have other believers around me, do you know how easy it is for me to rationalize stuff? Man, I'm a master at finding reasons to do what I want to do rather than what God says. But when I have the accountability of fellow believers around me, striving to grow in their walk with God, and holding my feet to the fire so that I will strive in my growth in relationship with God, there's something powerful that takes place. My conscience, apart from God, is not going to go in a godly direction. It's going to move away from God. It's going to do what I want to do, and I'll find every good reason, every good excuse for doing it. I need the church, and the church needs me. That's the way we're to view our relationship with the church of God. Now, look at the last part of this 22nd verse, and it goes on to say, not only do we have our consciences sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, but our bodies washed with pure water. Now, there are a lot of insights by commentators as to what this text means when it talks about our bodies washed with pure water. Some take this in a non-literal sense to mean that I will see my walk with God, my behavior, growing and right and standing in the right place when it comes to my walk with God. And there's good, compelling arguments for that. But others see this as a statement of commitment that is made when a person is baptized. When we look in Scripture, the identifying mark of a person being a part of a church body, a church community, is believer's baptism by immersion. That was how a person said, I'm taking a stand with the people of God. I am a part of this group. It was a decision that was consciously made where a person was saying, this, this is my testimony, this is my statement to all that I am identifying with this church body. What the Word of God is saying in this text is this. There is a place for us to make that stand, to make that commitment, to identify with the body of Christ. And I want you to think of the context historically when it comes to this passage. First century, the book of Hebrews was written during a time of intense persecution. The Hebrews were rejected by their own society, their own community. They were shunned from their families and their synagogue because they had come to faith 
in Jesus. Added to that was an intense persecution that was brought by Rome as Rome was seeking to crush Christianity. These were the people that were being told, do not stop coming together. You're in this with other believers. So that's why I believe as we look at this passage of Scripture, it's going beyond just the idea of convenience. It's going into the concern about our own personal survival. And the idea is don't even allow the potential for death to separate you from being a part of a vibrant body of believers who worships God. Something else we see in this text as we come to the next part of this passage, what the Word of God draws us to is a dependence on God, and here's that pronoun again, to keep us faithful. Look at the 23rd verse and look at what it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. This is a call to commitment. This is a call by the Word of God to take a steadfast hold on the truths of God. Something that we value as a church family is the teaching of God's Word. We feature that as an important part of our Sunday morning worship. We encourage people to be parts of Bible studies and to engage with other believers. We have Sunday school in the fall and winter and spring where we drill down on some important truths from the Word of God where people can interact and touch on each other's lives as to what's going on in their lives. God wants that sort of thing for us because we are inspired by it to grow in our walk with Him. It helps us to hold fast the confession of our hope. That word confession means agreement. In fact, the original language, it means to speak the same. And here's the idea. As we come together in a local body of believers, we are agreeing on God's truth. And it becomes something that is a steadfast anchor for our lives and fight. In fact, the writer of Hebrews even said this in the sixth chapter. We have this, and it's referring to the promises of God. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. There it's using the imagery of that holy of holies that we talked about a little bit earlier, and we can enter with confidence. But then it goes on to say this, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What's it saying? We have a sure hope brought to us by the Lord Jesus Christ, but shared with other believers. That's how I and you, as followers of Jesus Christ, should view our walk with Him. But all of this is not based on our faithfulness, it's based on the faithfulness of God. For the last part of that 23rd verse says this, for he who promised is faithful. You know what coming together does? We're going to see blemishes, we're going to see brokenness. We're going to see failure in one another. But we're all reminded that we are imperfect people striving to grow in our walk with God, but God is always faithful. One of my greatest privileges as a pastor is being able to minister to somebody who's blown it and to remind them that God is forgiving 
and that God is faithful. And I'll tell you, I'm thankful myself when I blow it and somebody reminds me of the same thing. That's what doing church together does. It points us in that direction. Last part of this passage. We need to dedicate ourselves to being a church body. You know, I'd like to let you in on a little secret. You can't have a church if nobody shows up. I mean, that's the fact of it. And I say this in all love, and I'm probably preaching to the choir this morning, but I think we need to think in these terms. How would the church do if everybody attended church and served the way I do? Would the church survive? Would the church continue if everybody in the church approached church in the way that I do? In verse 24, the Scripture calls us to not only approach God, but also to think about one another. And notice what the Word of God tells us to do. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Now, I'm going to pause with that word consider. The word consider doesn't mean that I give it a passing thought. How can I influence somebody to grow closer to God today? It's a word that means to think carefully, to look deeply into something. You see, when I understand that church is more than me, it's us. I don't come to church thinking only about what will I get out of it. I come to church thinking in terms of what can I share with others. God, show me someone that I can go to today and encourage with your truth. That's the idea. That's how God wants us to think in terms of church. We are to consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Listen, if I'm off by myself and I'm thinking in terms of just me, I won't be stirred up to love and good works. You know what I'm stirred up toward? How do I gratify myself? How do I enhance what I have? How do I get more? But when I'm a part of a body of believers that I contribute to as a part of that body, and here I'm not talking financially, I'm talking about serving, I need to ask, how can I show the love of Jesus Christ to the person that I'm sitting in the pew with today? How can I inspire someone to serve God more effectively? And I would submit to you, we do that not so much by our words, but by our examples. Howard Hendricks is one of the favorite Bible teachers that I've had through the years. He's home with the Lord now. But what a godly man, what a wonderful teacher. And something he said always stuck with me, that the most important lessons are often caught and not taught. And what he means by that is this. I learn more by watching somebody live out their faith than just hearing their words. I need to consider being that person for the people around me that I love in this church body. So we are to consider these things in interacting with one another. But then the text goes on 
and it says this, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. Now, there are some people who look at this passage and say, well, of course, a pastor is going to talk about not neglecting the meeting together. They have a vested interest. This is not me saying this, you know. This is the Holy Spirit and the inspired Word of God that talks to us about consistency. Now, when I look, again, at the historical context, I can certainly understand where if life and limb is on the line and you're wondering, will I survive if I am seen going into a fellowship of believers, it would be awfully easy to neglect the assembling of ourselves together, wouldn't it? Out of fear, out of concern for my family and for my life, it would be very easy to say no. But our culture isn't like that. For many of us, it becomes a habit. We start to miss coming together in fellowship opportunities and worshiping God together, and it becomes a pattern that we fall into that begins to change into a bad habit. So, the Word of God challenges us in our thinking to not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but, strong word of contrast, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me just share this. As a pastor, I have had people come to me and miss somebody who at one time had been such a faithful part of the church family, and they don't see them there. And I hear the disappointment, the sadness, the sorrow in their voice. And I'm asked, what happened? They're discouraged. If we're really thinking outside ourselves, we make, and I'm going to use a dirty word here, a commitment to look at how what I'm doing affects other believers and to assume that my absence discourages some that I don't even know about who are looking to me and saying, that person inspires me, that person encourages me. We as believers are called alongside one another. That's what the word encourage means. And so what God is saying to us in this text is this, we're to come together encouraging one another. And then this additional statement right at the end of it, all the more as you see the day drawing near. We have a limited window on this earth. When it's talking about the day that's drawing near, most believe, and I would agree, that this is a reference to the return of Jesus Christ. And we don't know when that might be. It could be at any time. We need to live as though Christ could return at any time. But you know, when Christ does return, there's an event that takes place that's called the judgment seat of Christ, where we give an answer before Christ for what we've done with the opportunities that He's given us. And it is my conviction that one of those opportunities will be, how did you interact with my church 
the church body. Were you faithful? I'm not saying this to beat you up or to lower the boom. I'm sharing it because it's right here in the Word of God. But we're not just accountable to one another in these things. We're accountable to God. Paul reminds us of this when he says this, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. God wants to see us engaged with one another. The pronouns in this passage speak loudly about this sense of togetherness. So I ask you this morning, are you a part of a church body? If you call Oaklawn Bible Church your home, are you a part of this church body? Are you seeking to inspire people toward love and good deeds? Are you viewing the church as an us and a we or a me and them? That's the question we have to ask. What I'm encouraging you to do this morning, as I have done all week in preparing this, this passage of Scripture, is to pray and ask God, what in my mind needs to change about the way that I approach God's church, God's people, the people that I shepherd, the people that I love? What in me needs to change to be a better pastor? And I think that each of us need to ask ourselves, what in me, God, would you have change to be a better part of this church body in a way that inspires people toward love and good deeds? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. We thank you for the clarity of it. And God, we pray that we will be found faithful when we appear before you to give an account of what we have done while in the body. God, may we hear from you, well done, including how we have been a part of this church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.